How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh. Add some steam, sizzle, and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age comic book podcast, Flea Market Fantasy. I'm your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Correcto mundo, and this week is Mike Dell's pick, so Mike, why don't you tell us what we're reading and what we're reviewing. Uh, well, we're <laughs> doing The Inhumans, issue 9, I believe it's 1977, right? Yes, and, uh, With an yeah, asterisk, no- though. Yes, because this issue actually reprints the first two issues of Amazing Adventures from 1970. Correct. And it, those two issues, Amazing Adventures, they were split. It was Inhumans and Black Widow. Right, right. So the uh, first two issues had one complete storyline. So they <clears throat> plucked those out of the, uh, those issues and put them in for a reprint in issue nine because apparently... Uh, they missed a deadline because if you see when we get into the issue on the splash page, it says something about the pages were lost in transit. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, somewhere between the city of New York and the rolling hills of Pennsylvania, <laughs> yeah. the pages of what would have been in Humans Number Nine. I love it back then because you know obviously there's no internet and they're always flying by the seat of the pants. And so yeah, there was a lot of reprints back in those days. And Marv Wolfman, when he became editor in chief for like two weeks. He had this thing called, I think it was called like fill in comics. And so every month there would be like, I don't know who, Bill Mantlo and Sal Buscema or whoever, they would put out a different story and would always have at least two different Marvel characters. Like it'd be Spider-Man and the Avengers or Iron Man and the Hulk. So they'd always have something ready to go in case any one of these books was late, you know? So I guess in this case they didn't have anything ready. Yeah, I think Mantlo was considered like the fill in king, right? Right, the, right. Uh, the big guy. Uh, but yeah, so the Inhumans here, uh, we, they run a reprint, and the Amazing Adventure stuff was written and drawn by Jack Kirby. That's King right. Kirby, Michael. This the is fir- our first Kirby book, right? Yep. First time wow. we're talking Jack Kirby. And, uh, <laughs> like, the cover and stuff has nothing to do with what we'll be reading. No. <laughs> but it was, like, for, like, the normal storyline. We'll get into that later. Uh, but yeah, so this is the Inhumans, and all these characters were created by uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, and they all made their premieres in the Fantastic Four um, around 1965. Although Medusa, like the rest of them came in in like issues 45, 46, or whatever, but Medusa actually made her premiere in issue 36 of the Fantastic Four as a member of the Frightful Four. That's right, that's right. Would you like to explain the Frightful Four for people? Well, they're, you know, they're the antithesis of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I believe they were started by the Wizard. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. So now I'm trying to think of who it was. It was the Wizard, Medusa. I don't remember who the other ones were. Oh, Uh, Sandman? Sandman Sandman is correct. You're forgetting the best one, though. The best one. Jeez, I got to go. Oh, I got to think. Was it an FF villain? Like a typical FF villain? Yep. Uh, It wasn't Doctor Doom. 
No, it's, it's it's a very small level villain. Okay. There's also a Spider-Man pa- villain, a Daredevil villain, pa- I believe. Pastepot Pete. That is correct, Pastepot Pete. Right. I I love Pastepot Pete. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a guy with like a glue gun. He just uh, he gets he makes you real sticky. Right. Pastepot Pete. So yeah, uh, well, let's talk about the Inhumans. Who are the Inhumans, Michael? Uh, do you know their backstory, like uh, their civilization and everything? I know that, I'm not sure how much of this was made up later on, but I know that they're an offshoot of humanity. I believe, were they created by the Celestials? I don't or, think they were created by, I, I think the Kree just took them and put them in their own little secret place and like, okay. uh, was kind of, uh, I'm not experimenting on them, but man, maybe, I don't know. But they're an offshoot of humanity taken by the Kree, and they okay. were put on a island uh, land called uh, Attilan. Attilan, right? Yes, yep. And it, it was an island in the North Atlantic Ocean, and eventually then they had to move. It gets convoluted. But in our story today we'll be reading, uh, they're now in the Great Refuge, which is right. a place in the Himalayan mountains, because they had to move. They were worried that because of... Uh, Earthlings were getting better technology and planes and whatnot that they'd discover their island, so they right. moved it into the Great Refuge. And then at one point, Michael, they moved to the moon. That's right. In the John Byrne FF run. Because yeah, it's, they, they that's that's usually what you do. You go from the North Atlantic to the Himalayan Mountains to the moon. That's <laughs> right. the progress, step by step. Uh, so yeah, their uh, homeland of Attilan and uh, what? Oh, well, some of them then might go become. Uh, they get mutated. Right. Do you know how Inhumans become mutated? I believe it's called the Terrigen Mist. Is that it? Sure. Maybe Terrigen. Terrigen. Um, I think it's Terrigen, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, but it's like these crystals that they had in their homeland, and they, you break the crystal, and like mist comes off, and uh, it mutates you. But here's the catch, my guy. You don't know how it's going to mutate you. Right. So it it can be tricky. So it's kind of uh, like, you know, how X-Men are born with powers, but they never know what they're going to be, right? True. But, you know, they're just born with them. They don't have a choice in it. So the Inhumans actually make the conscious choice whether to do it or not. So it's a gamble, Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. They're on the bones. And we'll get into that a a little bit more in a minute. But uh, so who are the big Inhumans we're talking about in this issue, Michael? Run through the team. Sure. We're talking about Black Bolt. Yes. Who cannot or can speak, but if he speaks, his voice can like destroy mountains because it's so powerful. Yeah, his powers he can harness electrons and manipulate them and stuff. But, but yeah, his voice if he screams it like can wreck everything. Right, so right. He always has to stay mute, and he has like a little antenna on his head, Michael. Right. <laughs> that's like that's not part of his body. It's just uh, they added it to help him focus, so he can use his electron energy stuff without having to open his mouth. It's a way awesome. for him to focus his power and control it. Right. And, and he can fly. And, and he's nowadays, he's like the king of the Inhumans. He's their leader. Right. Wasn't he at this it, point, too, or no? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. Point. Yeah, I just was speaking in general terms. But okay. <laughs> initially, okay. uh, he has a brother, Micah. Who's his brother? Oh, what's his name? He's in this story. Uh, yep. Jeez, I got to skip ahead. Maximus. That's Maximus. right. Maximus. That's his brother, and he's always vying with Black Bolt for the throne of the Inhumans. And do you know what happened to Black Bolt and Maximus's parents? 
No, I do not know what happened. I did not either until today when I read about this. <laughs> but uh, when, like Black Bolt, when he was born, he, he was uh, kept away from everybody because they knew his uh, power was so uncontrollable. So they kept him in like a little soundproof cell, and he had to master his power. So it wasn't until he was like 18 or 19 that he was able to get back into his society. And when he was like around 20 years old, Maximus, who was always a little... His, his, Maximus's power is that he's super smart. He's, okay. he's wicked, wicked smart. So it, he always was trying to wait, think of ways he could, you know, take over the, the, uh, the island because uh, I think they're still on and, and tilling at this point, and you know, seize power, seize the throne, and he sure. he called in a Cree emissary, and and he was trying to cut a deal with them to help him take power, and Black okay. Bolt caught caught on to the plan, and he wanted to capture the Cree uh, emissary before he could flee, so he he used his forbidden power, Michael. He used his voice to bring down the Kree uh, ship, but sadly, the Kree ship crashed on the Great Council building, and it killed okay. his parents. Killed, but it killed his parents. Really? How about that? Yeah. Rough. Tragic. <laughs> I know. So that's how Black Bolt didn't one become king, but then everyone said, all right, you become king, even though, you know, well, he's, he's like, I feel guilty. I killed my parents. <laughs> like, it's all right. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> so I had no idea about any of this backstory. Um, so he became the king, and Maximus... Because Black Bolt, whenever Black Bolt uses his screaming power, it kind of affects Maximus. And Maximus also had some ability where he could get, like, glimpses of future events, future okay. memories. And when Black Bolt screamed to bring down that ship, uh, Maximus got flooded with his memories of his whole future life, and it made him crazy. That's how he, uh, he gotcha. gained the nickname Maximus, or, yeah, Maximus the Mad. Gotcha, right? okay. And but uh, so from that point on, Maximus is always trying to steal the throne from Black Bolt. Mm -hmm. and, uh, they're very heated rivals. All right. So uh, who else have we got in the Inhumans, Michael? We've got the aforementioned Medusa. Yeah, and what's her power? She has this crazy hair that can she can kind of control <laughs> yes. it, right? Like she can use it to like grab things and manipulate things. I think that's pretty much it, right? That's it. That's her power. Yeah, her hair can grow like really long and. Um, I guess just from the head, right? The hair on the head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really long. So not her leg hair or anything else <laughs> unmentionable. Um, but yeah, it's a weird power. Um, and yeah, she just uses it kind of like her hair is like an octopus or something, you know? Like just right. grabs people. And uh, <laughs> I guess she's Black Bolt's second cousin, which is a little weird. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. All, all these Inhumans are all like cousins and stuff. Because uh, cause she loves the Black Bolt there. Uh, I guess they're officially married at this point uh, ah. in the story, right? I don't know. Um, but they're like the king and queen of the Inhumans. And for a while, though, as we mentioned, she was part of the Frightful Four, so she was bad there. Uh, mm -hmm. Because they, the Inhumans were fighting some enemy, and she she was on a sky sled that crashed. Because you got to watch out when you're on those sky sleds. They're the <laughs> right, ones right. You always do. So yeah, it crashed, and she got amnesia. And right. she started just wandering the globe, uh, not knowing who she is. And that's when the wizard, the evil wizard, found her. And Scoop he brought her into the, the uh, Frightful Four. So it's mm -hmm. not like she was willingly evil. She didn't know. You know? Sure. Okay, I understand. Well, she's forgiven then. And that's how the other Inhumans then come into the Fantastic Four storyline. Because they, uh, her exploits with the Frightful Four uh, brought, were brought to their attention. They said, hey, that's Medusa, because they were looking for her. So then that's how they all got together then. You yeah, Fantastic Four and Inhumans. Gotcha. Oh, okay. There you go. So that's Medusa. Next, 
Uh, we got Karnak, who knows an incredible form of karate. And Karnak has a brother. <laughs> Do you know who his brother is? Uh, is he part of this team? Yes. I'm assuming then it's uh, Gorgon? Nope. Oh. <laughs> well, then who is it? Who's left? Triton. Oh, okay. I just didn't the, the, think that I don't see the, the resemblance, I guess. Yes, you know? and that's the story I'm about to tell you. Okay. Uh, because I, I did not know this either. I did not know they were brothers until I was reading this uh, background. But uh, Karnak and Triton are both sons of a uh, like a uh, philosopher, a mystic priest kind of guy, and his wife, who was a biologist. And Triton was a little was the older brother. And when they they subjected him to the uh, Terrigen Mist or Terrigen Mist, whatever, and he mutated into this sea creature, like a, a fish, basically. Sure, sure, yeah. An aquatic sea creature. He's all green with fins and scales and everything. And he has to live in the water. He can't live on land. And so they were so, uh, you know, upset about this that they pleaded with the, the, the Grand Council or whatever of a, until and they said, hey, can we not put our, our second child <laughs> into the Terrigen Mist? Can we, like, you know, forget that? And they said, okay, that's all right. You don't have to put your second child, who was Karnak, into the Terrigen Mist. So instead, Karnak studied under his father intense study, uh, like, you know, in the ways of meditation and the Kung Fu and all kinds sure. of other stuff. So he just studied his whole life, and he became a master of uh, different fighting skills. And he also developed a unique ability to sense something's weak point. Right. And even though he does not, he's never been subjected to the Terrigen Mist, he has no, like, superpowers or anything, he's still incredibly strong because he knows just where to hit things. That's right. To do the most damage. So, it's Karnak. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's why they don't look alike. One brother went into the, the mutation stuff, and the other did not. Gotcha. So, and now we're left with uh, Gorgon, right? Is he the last guy? There's, well, there's technically Crystal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Crystal is what Medusa's sister? Is that how that I'm works? not sure what she is. I don't. I'm not. I don't. I don't really know. In fact, I don't even know her power. Oh, you really? You don't know anything about Crystal? Not really. I mean, I've read stories with her in it, but I cannot remember what she does. Uh, she can like control the uh, Earth and. Uh, okay. <laughs> like you know, like um, what do they call that? They have a technical te term for it. Te telekinesis. Uh, like geokinesis, right? Oh, geo. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think she can, like, surf, though. She can make the ground, like, surf and stuff. You know what I mean? Okay. But I think she can control other elements as well. Okay. Like, even fire and water and stuff like that. Um, and I guess her distinctive feature is she's uh, is blonde, but her hair has, like, this black... Well, isn't it, her hair's like, red, isn't it? No, that's Medusa. Okay. Crystal's it's, blonde. Looks, well, it looks orange. It looks orange here. Huh. But anyway. Well, I know other times she's always blonde. Uh, okay. But it's but she has this uh, unique feature to her hair. It's like in the back, there's like a black symbol in it. Yes, like a circular and it's symbol. always there no matter where her hair is. <laughs> yes. I love that. And she was uh, part of the Fantastic Four for a while, like when Sue Richards uh, was pregnant, right? Crystal filled right. in. Yep. And she was dating uh, Johnny Storm. Yep. And, and in this issue that we're reading here, she is a member of the Fantastic Four. And... Uh, yeah, it causes some uh, conflict with the Indians. Right. All right, so Gorgon, though. What about Gorgon? Gorgon. Uh, wait, did we talk about Triton? Oh, well, yeah, he's uh, Karnak's brother. 
Oh, okay, okay. Fish guy. So Gorgon, yeah. uh, Gorgon is uh, he can create earthquakes, right? Yeah, he he's like uh, the bottom. His legs are like a horse. Right, right, right. Okay. He's a horse from the. I want to say from the waist down. That'd be quite the benefit if you're a horse from the waist down. <laughs> Ladies not, love Gorgon. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I, his legs are like uh, horses' legs. They got hooves and uh, they're super strong. And if he stomps his foot, it can cause an earthquake. And you know, not quite uh, as appealing I'll, to women. <laughs> yeah, the hor the hoof feet. <laughs> yeah, hope. but uh, he's also really strong. I guess uh, originally he could lift like forty tons. But uh, I guess he well, went. He went through like a second mutagen process. Okay. And now he he can lift like eighty to hundred tons. Oh, nice. That's, yeah. that's but, but I guess he got tier. dumber. I oh, think it, it it compromised his intelligence going through it one more time. Yep. Yeah. What can you do? Now there's one person we didn't mention. What about oh, what's the dog's name? Oh, Lockjaw. Lockjaw, right. <laughs> yeah, he comes in. Uh, describe Lockjaw for the people. Lockjaw. I don't know my dog breeds. I guess he's a big bulldog, right? Yeah, I guess I think he's like a big bulldog. Um, like gigantic, like the size of, I guess, a horse or big. I don't yeah, know. He, he's enormous. I guess uh, I saw he weighs like 1,200 pounds. Okay, yeah, he's, he's huge. And he, he also has a little antenna on his head. Yes. And he uses it to teleport, correctly? I mean, correct. Yeah, he can teleport yeah. up to like 12 people. Right. Yeah, through, t through time and space, I believe. I, maybe and not then, time, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about time, but definitely space. Yeah, but I might the, just be making that up. <laughs> so, yeah, and the one thing I want to point out is in the John Byrne run of FF, he supposedly revealed that Lockjaw could talk. I don't know if you know that. Well, I guess John Byrne tried to make it that Lockjaw wasn't technically a dog. He was another normal inhuman who went through... That's how he came out of the Terrigen process. He came out as a dog. Okay. Um... And people did not like that. So I think well, they kind of got rid of that idea. Well, yeah. Did you hear how it was retconned? No. It was Peter David, I believe when he was doing X Factor, he revealed that it was a practical joke that I think, like, you know, Triton and Karnak were playing. And they actually show them holding, like, it looks like almost like a transistor radio. And they're, like, standing behind a wall laughing as everyone is falling for their gag. So that was Peter David's <laughs> right. way of wiping out, you know, five years of continuity. So I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, because his, his original backstory is he was a uh, a normal dog who the uh, inhuman Attilan scientists were doing experiments on. They're, they're doing experiments right. on dogs. And uh, I think the way it was, like, he had four brothers. This sounds like it was added later. And before, they were all subjected to the Terrigen Mist in the womb, I guess. And he teleported his other brothers around the world before he was born. So they didn't really know that, that there are other four dogs out there. Ah, uh, okay. That sounds like a later story, right? Definitely, like they came in and yes. added that. So, uh, but yeah, Lockjaw is a big old bulldog. Um, he, he looks that way just because, like I said, they were doing experiments on him. Right. And he can teleport. And yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, very but cool. he, he and Black Bolt, they both have the antennas on their heads. Yep. So. Little floors there by Jack Kirby. Yeah. All right. Yep. So what else about the uh, Inhumans, Michael? We did mention last time we were talking about they did have a TV show briefly. Yes. <laughs> Apparently uh, it was terrible. Yep. I watched episode one. Did you watch any of it? No, I didn't. Was it good? It wasn't terrible. Like it wasn't like god awful or anything. Okay. Um, okay. I thought there was some like, in terms of how the story was plotted, I thought there was some good stuff. 
But the weird thing is, they had Medusa lose her hair in episode one. That's what I heard. It's just so. Oh man, I don't know. They were they were going for the big traumatic uh, emotional thing, having her cut her. But I think that undermines the whole point of Medusa. Like you don't. That that should be something you save for later. Exactly. You got to establish the hair first. You got to save that for season five, right? Like, come on. Yeah, let people become used used to the uh, power and like how much her hair means to her, and then take it away from her. Right. Right. Um, Right. Right. But yeah, they did it too soon. Um, So I I guess the the idea of it was Maximus took over the throne from Black Bolt, and then he banished the Inhumans to Earth, or or within the Earth society, because I don't know where their homeland was. So, uh, but then I didn't watch any more. So, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, like it wasn't great or was, but I didn't think it was like totally awful. Like people act like it's the worst thing ever made. I mean, it sure. wasn't like, right. it wasn't like levels of the first Fantastic Four movie back when Roger Corman did it or anything right, like that. Right. You know what I mean? It was like, it was you okay. I thought Maximus it? had some good moments. But yeah. I, I think that all Marvel live action properties, they kind of hover, like if you were to do a scale of one to 10, they kind of hover between. The absolute worst is like a four, and the absolute best is a six. But when something is a four, people think it's a zero, and when something is a six, they think it's a ten. You know well, I, mean? I would disagree with the uh, the ceiling being six. There's some really good shit in Marvel. Okay. Uh, like, are you talking TV or are you talking movies? Everything, everything. Like, oh, only, come on, Michael. The only come ones on. that I think are really, really good are Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, yeah, but clearly that's better than a six, right? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm but just you saying, just said they were all six. Oh, uh, okay, but this is what I mean is when, <laughs> for example, Black Panther, that was above average, but the highest I could give it is a seven, I think. Yeah, it wasn't a ten or anything like that's an I mean, Oscar-nominated like movie. Bad, you know, they're nominating it for Best Picture. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's what I mean is that they, but it was I a, mean. Uh, the first Avengers is great. Uh, oh. It was very good, Michael. It was you like good. to shit on it because it has a video game ending, like you said. Yes, but it does. Put it in context of what it was at the time it came out. It fucking blew the world away. With like, there was never anything like that. That many superheroes in one I movie. Like, and I like the interplay crazy. between the characters. I like all the actors, but the actual plot didn't do anything for me. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier, tremendous. Okay, that was good. That was good. Yeah. So but, you're a little harsh saying they're all six. Maybe, Come on, Michael. Maybe a little, okay, maybe Nonsense. a little bit harsh. I'm just saying that when something is above average, people lose their minds and think it's like a masterpiece, and I just don't think so. And then, but mm. the reverse is true too. It's like when something is, when something is not even like. Let, let's expand it to other movies. Like people think Ghost Rider is like a zero out of ten. No, I own Ghost Rider. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's awesome, but it's, it's awesome, like a five or a six. You know, it's yeah, enjoyable. It's, you exactly. can watch it. Exactly, yeah. it's like worth watching. Yeah, but people. Like, it's the second zero. one's a train wreck. Don't yeah, watch the bad, second one. <laughs> but the first one's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so anyway, we've gone off track here. Let's get back to Inhumans. They were supposed to make an Inhumans movie, but then they scrapped it, like we talked about last week. Right. So. Uh, and as you mentioned, the Marvel, this this uh, cinema universe, they lost the rights to the X Men for the movies right. and stuff. So they're playing up the Inhumans on the Shield TV show, right? To to try and like have them be their X Men, and but then they got the X Men rights back, right? Right. So, so they're like screw the Inhumans. Yeah, <laughs> fuck the Inhumans. Right. Um, all right, so I, I think that's a good basis for the Inhumans, right? I think uh, we have a set the foundation to right. talk we, about the issue. We talked now, about right? Jack Kirby. What, what, should we talk about Jack Kirby more, or is that it? Uh, let, let's talk about the issue first, and then we'll do Kirby. Sure. Now, but, but there is one thing we got to say. I can't believe you haven't mentioned this. This is the most important thing about this whole comic. 
Chickstone, hello. Yeah, that's right, Chickstone. Yeah, <laughs> Chickstone on inks, come on. But Our anyway, buddy Chickstone. That's right. Yeah. We'll talk he, more about uh, later. Yeah, he like uh, he inked Kirby a, a good bit, but uh, I was reading an article about Kirby and uh, Chickstone, and, and Chickstone said the two best inkers for Kirby were, and he said their names, and now I can't remember who they were. It was probably but, Joe Sinnott, I assume. But no, it wasn't Joe Sinnott. That's what wow. surprised me. Okay. It wasn't Joe Sinnott. Yeah. Um, huh. But anyway... So okay. let's talk about the cover, even though it has nothing to do with yeah. our story. <laughs> sure. The cover is by Keith Pollard. Yes. Uh, who I've met. He's a really cool guy. What, what's um, Keith Pollard known for drawing the most? I think it was Fantastic Four, right? Or was it Spider-Man? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, he did Fantastic Four, I think, in the late 100s, maybe. And then I think he did some fin- uh, Spider-Man, but... He was never a superstar, but he was really good at, you know, he was good at the Marvel style. And uh, he actually came back to Fantastic Four in the 300s with, and he teamed up with Steve Englehart. So that's where I first discovered him. And he did a really good, like, Jack Kirby kind of homage, you know. So definitely a good artist. From yeah, the, I mean, I've, I've heard of him. I've read his stuff before in the past, but I, I couldn't think of, like, what he's, like, most known for, though. But, yeah, uh, probably FF, late 100s, okay. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically on the cover we've got it says the most uncanny heroes of all. Look at that. No, that's eh? a shot at the X Men, right? They're just taking a shot. That's funny because yeah, yeah. It, this is so. This is seventy six. So you know what? I don't even know if the X Men were called the Uncanny X Men yet because remember they didn't get that until later. Yeah, this is seventy seven. Um, okay. When did? But yeah, I mean this this series started in seventy five, so they probably used that title the whole time. You know. Interesting. Um, Huh. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think they became the Uncanny X-Men until like around 140-something, right? Something like that, yeah. And that would have been early, like 80, 81. So I'm going to quickly I, I'm quickly checking this because I know that our listeners expect us to be on the ball when it comes to these things, right? <laughs> so let's check. Oh, look at this. X-Men 103. What does it say on the cover? It says the all-new, all-different X-Men. They were not the Uncanny X-Men yet. Yeah, I, I think it was around Days of Futures Past that it switched. Right, so that means that they were uh, they were throwing this name around like it was going out of style back in these days, right? Yeah, so really, they're not taking a shot at the X Men. The X Men just ripped them off. Exactly. Wow. Maybe they just really liked the name on the word Uncanny, and then when the Inhumans got canceled, they're like, "Oh, let's use it for the X Men." Yeah, I got to use it for yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so okay, so yeah, and then we got this great shot of Black Bolt in the corner box, and I want to point out, you do realize that. Black Bolt's underarm batwing things are directly influenced on Gene Simmons' outfit, right? From Kiss? <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, you can tell in that <laughs> shot, 100% right there. Yeah, it's a, it, Jack Kirby drew him in that little character box there. Uh, right. Black Bolt has a cool costume. He's one of the coolest looking heroes, I think. Very, yes, very cool. Um, um, and then, so then, But in this cover, we've got Black Bolt being choked by this guy. Uh, I guess his name's Mortog. <laughs> yes, and I had no idea, but it says yeah, it in the box. More talk. Yeah. And he's choking him with his big lance. It's all kind of lit up with energy. And he's like, you're a powerless black <laughs> yeah. bolt. And now your voice will be stilled forever forever by my neuro lance. Yeah, and just to be clear, uh, that is not a euphemism. It's an actual lance. It's right. Not his, <laughs> right, his right, not... right, right. <laughs> but it looks like a giant Q-tip. Right, so, good point. Yep. Yeah. And then at the bottom it says, The Inhumans face Mortog, the mightiest Kree warrior of all. And Mortog does have blue skin, we should point out. Yeah, because he's drawn, he looks like a black eye with blue skin. Exactly. Like right. the way he's drawn. 
And he has a... Yeah, Black Bolt's facing us. And Mortog's behind him with the lance under his chin, choking him. And Black Bolt's straining against it. And, uh, and then the other Inhumans are in the background, imprisoned within some sort of a laser beam cage. Right, right. And they're all freaking out. Um, what else did I want to say about this? And then we'll get uh, the title is To Meet the Maker of Death. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a fine cover. It just has nothing to do with the contents. Yeah, again, because of the, the film. mishap delivering the pages or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you read issues 8 and 10, you'll see more Tog in those. Right. Yeah, um, and then it's also, yeah. as you point out, it's 30 cents American. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, that's it. That. Uh, notice the Inhumans is also in the top right, or the top left. Yeah. Uh, in the Marvel Comics group. That, is that what they always used to do? Uh, I'm going to jump to my source, and I'm going to look. Yes, apparently all the comics, all the Marvel comics of this era all had a tiny little title in the yeah. top left corner. Hmm. I didn't Never really I didn't notice. know that. Yeah. All right, so the big splash page, uh, like we said, we get a, a description of uh, why this issue is reprints. Uh, the pages got lost. And then we see the Inhumans real big. And describe this picture for everybody, Mike, because I know you love it. This is one of my favorite pictures, like, of anything. This is so you got <laughs> Black Bolt, like, flying towards the reader, right? Yep. Uh, and then behind him is Medusa running, Karnak running with his karate chop hand up, ready to karate chop somebody. And then we got Trigon leaping b beside him on the other side. And uh, what's his name? Gorgon kind of running, but kind of not. And then way in the background is Crystal. And it's just a classic Kirby sh pinup shot of the heroes running towards the reader. And on the side, we've got this kind of city, which I guess is um, Attilan or Adelan or whatever it's called. Yeah, I think a tillin. A tillin. Um, uh, my only they could he could have like twisted Triton a bit so his head's not behind Black Bolt as much. Good you know? point. Good point. And I'm also gonna guess that this was probably just a pinup that was maybe gonna be used for cover, but because if the way it segues into the next page, it's kind of obvious, right? That Kirby just had this really good shot of the Inhumans that they use as the splash page. I'm guessing, though. I don't know. Uh, I should mention, uh, when they reprinted this, in order to keep the page count down, they did take out some stuff. Oh, so, really? Yeah, they took out... Uh, shoot, I closed the page. Um, they, they, I'm trying to th think if they monkeyed with the first page. So th this splash page may not have been in Amazing Adventures. I don't know. Interesting. I, okay, okay. Uh, like, they didn't take out a bunch of stuff, but they... Uh, I know, like, on page two or something, they took out some panels from the original page two, and then uh, they took out one other panel from, like, page six or something. I don't know, because they had to shrink it by, like, two pages or something. Well, even, unfortunately, it took me years to realize Marvel Tales and all those reprint titles from the 70s, like Marvel's Greatest Comics, they would do that. They would cut out, like, half of one page, half of another, then, like, you know, jam the two remaining pages together just to get the page count down so they could fit more ads in. So. Yeah, but, but I mean, this splash page it works. I'm sure it probably was the first page of uh, Amazing well, maybe, Adventures. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but it, it is but, a good yeah. splash page. Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Classic yeah. Kirby art, right? right it's like, right. this is what you expect from Kirby. Right. So then you cut to the next page. And again, another reason I, I suspect that that image was separate is the rest of the art is not as good as that first page. And I don't know if it's because it was drawn at a different time or because, God bless him, but Chick Stone might not be... 
Right. I, don't know. I, I, I know. I don't want. I don't want to speak of Chickstone, but I've seen. I've seen some early Chickstone inks that are really good, but this doesn't quite mesh as well. I don't think. But anyway, so basically, we've got a scene of. It turns out the FF are watching. It's not. They they give it a, a funny name. It's not like a projector, but they call it something else, right? But it's basically like they're watching it like it's on a projected on on the wall, and it's like a, it's like a video of the Inhumans. Shit, what do they call it? I can't even find it. Oh. Yeah, I can't find it. Yeah. But yeah, they're just watching a video of the Inhumans for some reason. Like, right. Yeah, and they're talking about them and just you know the typical FF banter. Um, well, we, yeah, we should mention Jack Kirby's the Raider here. Yes, I and, actually uh, didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize it at first. But yeah, because yeah, this dialogue will let you know right away. <laughs> right, um, right. Hey, hold it, brother-in-law. Doesn't Crystal Raider plug on that soundtrack? Yeah, she was the only human with sense enough to join our team, and that's the thing. And then back to Johnny Storm. She can not only control the elements, but she's my very own chick. Yeah. So... Again, exhibit A that Kirby needed Stan Lee as a as a creative <laughs> partner, right? She's my very own chick. <sighs> yeah, it's bad. Um, and then you know they're groovy. I love them all. Yeah, it's pretty bad dialogue. Oh, I guess also- you got it. Yes, that's the best line. Is uh, Crystal that the she's watching the film? They're asking her about it. Um, and things like you project beautiful, you project beautifully, honey. But that family of yours, well, they don't exactly tug at my heartstrings. And then Crystal says, they're groovy. I love them all. Yeah. And we need to remember, this is 1970. So. Right, right. Even though this issue came out in 77, it's a reprint from 70. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this was during a period where all these 40 and 50-year-old men were trying to write like teenagers, right? So it was pretty And again, uh, Reed Richards, after she says they're groovy, uh, Ben will regain uh, his grim charm when Sue serves the snacks. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, because she's got to serve the snacks. <laughs> yeah, she knows her place. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, the dialogue here is pretty awful. Pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut over to uh, a great mountain somewhere in Asia, and we see a group of explorers, or whatever they are, climbing this uh, mountain because they're looking for because there's myths of this hidden city, right? And they're trying to investigate. Yes. So they come across, of course, uh, what's his name? This is uh, Gorgon, right? Yep. Gorgon and Karnak. And they're like, oh, look, you know, these guys are here. So they're trying to scare them off. And so um, Gorgon starts stomping his feet. But then Karnak's like, don't stomp your foot. Black Bolt still leads us. It is his will to, it is not his will to harm outsiders. But the humans end up seeing them anyway. And so they start shooting at them. So then Karnak decides to use his power where he's going to find the exact precise spot in this cliffside and karate chop it. And then, of course, it cuts this gigantic section of this mountain or this rock over. But it ends up creating this land bridge. So it's actually a way for these humans to now they have an escape route to get away from them. So it's kind of convenient, right? But these guys decide, no, we're going to shoot them anyway. But luckily, Medusa is now behind them, so she uses her, her hair to grab like this missile thing, or this grenade, I guess, after it's been fired yeah. and stop it from harming Karnak and Gorgon. And then just at that moment, Black Bolt comes in, and he starts fighting these uh, explorers. Yeah, he drives and, them over the land bridge. Like He's right. just forcing them over. And then he breaks the land bridge. He smashes it, right? Yep. And then uh, that's it. Uh, basically, it's like, okay, 
see it. So then they uh, get on this kind yeah, of... Yeah, well, we should make, just to make it clear, they're trying to protect their the Great Refuge. Right, so right, right. Yeah, so the, yeah, so these, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as far as these explorers know, they're not even sure if this place exists. So now they have proof yeah. that the Inhumans, you know, they are there, but they've kind of been scared off, and so now they're going to leave. Oh, and look, look, Michael, they're riding like sky sleds at them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cool, eh? Magnetic Gorgon's cycle. Magnetic Cycle at your I service. I love it. <laughs> yep, so cool. And so then, and the black hole points <laughs> I, the way. Again, I got to take issue with your use of coal. Uh, you, what do you're you very mean? generous with the use of coal. <laughs> you don't think this thing is cool? <laughs> oh, no, my. I do not think Gorgon's Magnetic Cycle is cool. Oh, I give it, a, I give it an 8 out of 10. You probably only give it a six out of ten. <laughs> uh, try go much lower for me. Ugh, but, uh, brutal. Anyway. Uh, yeah, because so anyway. Black Bolt's the only one that can fly, so the right, others need right. something to get around. Somewhere, right. So. so then they fly back to the Great Refuge, like the city, and you can see like the city kind of like in between these mountains. It's really cool. And, and you get some classic Kirby like design work here. Right. Right. Yeah. Like flying, yeah, like flying over the city, you see like all this crazy Kirby architecture, and like you see like these inhumans. See, that's the kind of thing, because I haven't read many in inhuman stories, so I kind of think of the inhumans as just the royal family. I kind of forgot that there's like a whole city of them, right? <laughs> yeah. So you see all these whole people walking around, it's very cool. Now, this is something I didn't think we ever saw in any other story, and now correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't think that Black Bolt had thought bubbles. I don't think we ever saw hmm. that when Stan Lee was writing, but I could be wrong. But as Black Bolt's landing, he says, Triton greets us. He seems disturbed. I don't think we ever saw that before, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that is that is strange. Uh, and, it, and it also weakens Black Bolt, I think. I think Black Bolt's strength is that he's so silent, you don't know what's going on in his head. Right. It's like, he's so quiet. He's, he's, like, uh, intriguing because you don't know what he's saying or right. thinking. Just like Snake Eyes. You don't want to see his thought bubbles, right? Yeah, so this kind of, this is Kirby again not understanding the character. <laughs> right, because he never yeah. read the comics after he finished drawing them. He <laughs> just exactly handed them over right. to Stanley and Stanley dialogued them. But anyway, so then, um, so this is where the main plot begins, I guess you could say. So now, yep. um, we, they look at the view screen or whatever. Oh, sorry, the detective screen. <laughs> the detective screen. I love yeah. it. And, um, you know, it can't just be like a simple flat screen TV. It's got to be this misshapen thing with yeah. like another thing on the side. <laughs> and, oh, I just love it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's this missile coming towards them, but they call it a cobalt warhead. And it's flying towards them, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, it could be a test missile. Humans fire them daily in vast uninhabited <laughs> regions. We don't know what this could be. But just in case, we'd better warn our people. And then at that moment, we cut over to Maximus, who is, I guess he's been exiled, right? Yes. So he's on this tropical island, and he's, like, drinking wine and eating food, and he's got all his servants around him. And they all have these really cool, I'm going to use that word again, cool. They have these really <laughs> cool names. Like, we got a guy named Stallior, and he's a half-man, half-horse, right? Like, Stallion. Yeah, but, but he's more than half-horse. Like, uh, Gorgon's just the horse legs. This guy's, like, his whole, he has the horse's ass. Right. So yeah. he's got <laughs> four legs and two arms, Yeah, he right? has four. Yeah, he's like a centaur, I guess. Two days, dicks. So. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, and then we and then we see another guy, Timberius, and he's made. He's like a guy who's kind of like a half tree, half man. He's got like yeah, he's kind of like that guy that. from uh, what was that swamp thing we read? That guy. Oh, uh, Floronic Man, or yes, Floronic Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yep, very cool. He had another name. What, what was his other name though? Jason Woodrue. But like after Floronic Man, like he was Floronic Man in that Justice League issue we did. Uh, but he oh. had a, a wood. Was it just Woodrue? They called him Woodrue. Maybe or? it was Woodrue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, look, looks like him. Right. And and notice this little, uh, this little tree guy. He's spraying perfume for Maximus. He's like, oh, this is your favorite scent. I love that. That's so cool. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, Jason Woodrow was also known as Plant Master, Floro, and the Cedar. But the I don't think that's what you're thinking of. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I think Woodrue they were calling yeah, him Woodrue. Yeah. But I love these little touches. You're right, like spraying the, the the cologne. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. These servants of his, they're, they're his like uh, little lackeys, but they're all inhumans, and they just worship him like the true king. Right, you know? right, right. So. <clears throat> it's great. And then, uh, and then the next page, we see another, we see another guy. This is Leonis, and of course, he kind of looks like a lion, but not really. Yeah, he's but, like a big mane of hair. Right. I guess. Very cool. And then, um, and then outside, there's another guy who, what is his mm. name? Is Aeolus. 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 Right. Your so faithful Aeolus salutes you. Right. So this guy kind of flies in and they're chatting it up. And so he basically reveals that he's the one that fired the missile, right? Yeah, but Maximus shot Maximus it, not Aeolus. Is, yeah, yeah not clear. Aeolus. Yeah. <laughs> Maximus. Right, Maximus. And he's got another one that he's going to fire. And he's like, mm. you know, he's like, it was, you know, He's like, so I begin the war, which will discredit my brother Black Bolt. So basically, yeah, he's trying to trick he's trying to trick Black Bolt into thinking someone else is attacking him, so that he'll go attack them, which we'll find out more about later. And then he's like, I, I love this little detail. He has the power to destroy my first missile, but the second, which I send on its way, will be a much closer call. Thus, the <laughs> game has begun. I love it. There's really no need for the two missiles. Right, right. <laughs> Pointless. Yeah. Like one missile would have done the job, <laughs> but right. I don't know. He just. For some reason, he has to have two. Right. Mm-hmm. So he shoots this missile, and then, uh, so then, so it's funny because then uh, Trigon is flying, and he's like, "Black Bolt must do something, or we're all uh, doomed." Is that Trigon? Well, I don't know if that is that is is that Triton, or is that just a random Inhuman? Yeah, I don't know. because he's got like wings, but he's colored green. Yeah. Or yeah, because Triton can't fly, and he doesn't yeah. have wings, so so it can't be. Triton, but he does right? look like Triton in terms of how he's colored. Right, and, and then yeah, he just says Black Bolt must do something, or we are doomed. So just some random person is saying this. And right. Like, oh, right. And then the, the the caption says, as if in answer to a silent plea, a powerful repulsor force lashes out and deflects the missile from its course. And of course, then it, it says, miles above the Earth, it explodes with incredibly destructive fury, and it shows it like an explosion the size of the Earth, you know, next to the Earth. I love it. <laughs> and look, look at how Kirby designs the rocket or the missile. It's like. Uh, it's like a traditional missile, but then it has a big fin on it, like a right. big misshapen fin. But the yeah, yeah, the fin is not like aerodynamic at all. It's like this no. big. It's like the <laughs> top of a seven, like the number seven. And it's, and it's just yeah, it's just on like the top side of it. Right. So I think that would probably monkey with how it flies, but right, I don't know. right. Um, <laughs> and I, it's so funny how Black Bolt could so easily deflect it, but and so I don't know why they're worried about the second one, but yeah, now here a second one comes, right? But and Black yeah. Bolt, for some reason, he's worried. I don't know why. But he uh, he flies into the air and he uses his mental power again to deflect this thing. And they, you know, the, you know. Yeah, they, his uh, his power channeled through that little tuning fork on his head. Right. His and it shoots right. lasers and shit. Neutrons yeah. burrow dirt deeply, corroding all metal about the detonator. Mere milliseconds to doom. A tiny flickering instant left before Black Bolt and his entire world plunge into eternity. Black Bolt braces for death. But death halts in its tracks as the missile dissolves into corroded, useless metal. So he ends up destroying the missile. Yeah, but, like, this could have been the only missile that was shot. Like, right, everything right. would have worked exactly Totally, the same. yeah. Like, you're right. They might as well have just cut out that, yeah, like, it's just 
Yeah. Poor plotting on that on on that on Kirby's part. <laughs> but there's some look at this. There's a clue planted in the wreckage, and of course it, it's got a big symbol for, and it says made in the USA. So they ascertained that it must be the Fantastic Four that attacked them, right? Well, there's a yeah, there's a giant four there. Right. Like a giant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic Four logo. Right, a logo. And so uh, Black Bolt's like, we're going to war. So then, um, now do you think do you think Maximus like put that logo on like every square foot of that rocket yeah. just in case? Like, no, I think it's just sheer chance that that piece just happened to survive <laughs> the destruction. Yeah, because who knows how Black Bolt blows it? He could have just blew up the entire missile with nothing right. left. Right. Or yeah, you know, uh, but they just happened to find the one spot yeah, of the missile yeah. that has the Fantastic Four logo on it. <laughs> Great detective work there. Yeah. But anyway, so then, yeah, Black Bolt's like, okay, we're going to war. Puts his fist up. So that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, what should we do? Is it peace or war? And as his ancestors have always done in such grave moments, Black Bolt raises the clenched fist. The decision is war. Right. I'm not a huge fan of that fist he drew either. No, it's not, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, um, so, then they, uh, so then the next page, they teleport into the Baxter building. They've got Lockjaw and Toe. Like he's yeah. the one doing it. Yeah, Lockjaw is teleporting them in. Yep, and so then they fly in, and then they're kind of looking around, and they for the first thing they do is they go to Ben Grimm's room, and they smash through the door, and then we get some great... Yeah, lock, Lockjaw just pushes right through the door. Right, even though they say how powerful it is. They're like, um, it would take an army to wrest this door from the grip. Uh, and then Lockjaw, it smashes through. It says, the door made from space-age metal gives way under, under stress of seismic magnitude. So that's how powerful Lockjaw is. And, of course, the thing is sitting there, and, and he would do it, any person would do it, if a giant dog smashed through the door. He says, it's Lockjaw, Black Bolt's nutty pooch. <laughs> Lego, you refuge from an overactive thyroid. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Lockjaw just pushes the door right over uh, the thing's head. It, like, cracks over his head. And uh, then Karnak comes in and gives him a karate chop. Bam. Right, right. But then he gives him a second karate chop. Why, Michael? Uh, for, why is it? I don't even know why. Well, he it's, says uh, there's an additional, for an additional tranquilizer. Oh, right. Uh, he is a formidable foe, formidable foe. First, the probe. So the first one was just a probe. And then followed by the uh, proper leverage, then the blow. Right. Probe and blow, Michael. Right. Probe and blow. <laughs> <laughs> And he hits him so hard that it shakes the whole Baxter building. Yeah, like blows out a side of the building. Right, right. And then uh, we cut over to Johnny Storm and Crystal, who are just chilling out listening to records. And then they, uh, then they, come, they come to find <laughs> out what the commotion is all about. And Crystal is hiding in the hallway outside their, their room, right? So then they oh, yeah, Medusa Medusa's hiding there, and she says her, her cousin Crystal. So, yeah, they're right, cousins, not right, sisters. right. Because Crystal, as we said before, is technically an inhuman. So they start yes. running to find out what's going on. And so Johnny Storm is turning into the Human Torch. But then Medusa uses her hair to envelop Crystal, right? And hold her back so she can't help Johnny Storm. Yeah, it's so pretty cool. Yeah, it's I very like cool. And so he just uh, flies down the hallway towards, uh, what's his name, Karnak? No, no, not Karnak. Gorgon. Gorgon. And he starts you know, using his earthquake powers to smash the ground or his feet, his horse feet. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's making the walls like collapse in on the Human Torch. Right, and then Human Torch is throwing like big fireballs at him, and the walls walls melting. And then uh, what is this here, Gorgon? The, huh? Uh, let me just ask you this, Michael. Does the Human Torch's power ever creep you out? Like, 
I think of all the superheroes, like his his power is really frightening. Because you know, like a, he could be such a uh, like burns are serious. Yeah, like they're no joke. And if a normal human just walks next to the human torch, they're getting severely burned. You know. Well, I think they've addressed that in newer comics, where if he carries somebody, he has to deactivate his power for like that part of his body, like his arms. But you've still got all that heat around you, you know? You're right. Like, really, if you're flying and you're carrying somebody, the only thing that could maybe be on fire is your feet. But still, if you're standing two feet away from a a raging fire, you're going to get burned, right? How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, How so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle, and spice. (laughs) Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. Yeah, he kind of terrifies me because, like, if it's just <laughs> accidentally, you know, get too close to him, you're just your third degree burns all over your body. And your right. life is ruined. Right. You know? Good point, so, good point. Kind of weird. Kind of weird. Yeah. And, and I think I brought this up before, but have they ever explained why his normal clothes don't just burn off? Like, I know his outfit is supposed to be, like, unstable molecules and whatnot right. to make it... But, like, in this, he's just wearing a flannel shirt and jeans when he turns into the human torch. Well... And then then when he... Like, uh, Gorgon... What does he do, Michael? He Oh, he, he blows up a fire extinguisher somehow with his feet. Right, right, right. And, and it douses the human torch, and he's back to wearing his flannel shirt... Right. Jeans. It's a really so. cool shot. I think that I, maybe it's, I'm just assuming that all of his clothes are unstable molecules, you know? Right. Now, knows? do you get those at the Gap? I would or think so, yeah. You? I yeah. don't know. Does well, Canada have the Gap? We have the Gap, yeah. Oh, right. very good. But you know what's funny is I think that Marvel uses that to explain all their characters. Like every Marvel superhero basically wears unstable molecules so that they can Yeah, because really it's just a hassle if uh, you always have to burn up your clothes all the time and then you're nude when like, right, the powers right. go off. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. creepy. So. Yeah. All right. But yeah, so Gorgon eventually uh, defeats Johnny Storm. Um, right. Knocks and, him out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we cut back to Maximus, who's all gloating, right? Because he's like, everything is going according to plan. And I love this shot. He's looking in the mirror and saying, Hail Maximus, rightful ruler of the Inhumans. Your exile is almost at an end. He's, hit, he's saluting himself. That's so cool, eh? But I think the panel could have been better designed, right? Like, because the mirror's way off in the side, and he's in the middle. Yeah, maybe. Like, you, you, you could have put him into, the like, the left and the mirror more central so you see him in the mirror more, you know? Yeah, but, maybe. Yeah, you could argue that. Yep. Uh-huh. But then I love, again, the next panel. You see his two buddies. I don't remember their names. Trius and Lioness or... Whatever yeah, whatever. Yeah, like bowing to him <laughs> as he walks in. It's so cool. They're following as he's walking down, and then we see the horse guy saluting him. Very cool. And he goes out to these, and then he goes out to like the beach, and he's like looking at the waves. This remote and lonely island will soon be a, be but a bitter memory. With Black Bolt dethroned, I can begin the true conquest of mankind. But there's a twist. Again, this is awkward plotting. But even yes. though they thought the Fantastic Four attacked them, just in case they sent. Uh, what's his name? Triton. Triton. To, Triton to go and investigate. So he comes to the island anyway, and he's like, uh, he's like, yes, it is I, dear cousin Triton, sent on a mission what, which has succeeded. Black Bolt is not the fool you make him out to be. Yes, he fights the Fantastic Four, but not to the death. 
Not until he <laughs> makes certain they fired the missiles that caused the war. So he basically comes in and he kind of like arrests Maximus and he puts him in this weird like, like, what? Do, I don't even know. It's it's like a it's like a harness like stretcher thing with straps and like um, a thing over his head so he can breathe underwater. And he straps him to his back and he just swims away with him, right? Very yeah, he cool. just grabs him on the beach, throws him underwater, puts him on the sled, and away he goes. So they knew, like, they knew, they suspected Maximus may have done this, because, again, he's the mad Maximus always trying to take over the throne. So they had an idea it was probably him, but they said, just in case, let's send everyone else to fight the Fantastic Four for a while for no reason. Right. And then we'll just send one guy, Triton, to swim up to the beach and hopefully grab Maximus. Yeah, um, it makes no because sense. Because Triton saw the missile launcher, and he's like, ah, you shot the missile. Um but, yeah, it seems like poor planning on their part. Like, hey, here's an idea. Since you know the Fantastic Four are your friends, uh, you know, they're, they're actually relatives, or, or like, you know, one of your cousins is on their team, and you're good friends. Maybe start with Maximus first. Right. <laughs> and then go to Fantastic awkward, Four. awkward, awkward plotting. Very awkward. Yeah. Or maybe just call them up and say, hey, Reed, did you shoot a missile at us, buddy? <laughs> right, yeah. But then you'd have no issue, right? You'd be missing yeah. a half the issue, yeah. Uh, so whatever. Um, so then, so then we cut back to the Baxter building, and they're trying to like straighten out what's going on here. And there's this running gag of the thing complaining about how they wrecked his favorite bathrobe. Yeah. Um, which I, that was funny, but then they used they kind of overdid the joke. So anyway. But yeah, so they, Sue and Reed show up. They they finally show up. Right, and right. Sue, Sue's got the baby, and Reed's like, "Hey, what's going on?" You know. Right. Yeah. And then. But, uh, but by right, now, right. the Inhumans have heard from Triton. They've heard right. that it's Maximus. And they're like, oops, sorry. Sorry for fighting you. <laughs> You're right. And then, of course, they restore the thing's bathrobe. Yeah, because Black Bolt can uh, harness electrons and shape them into forming matter. So he, he gave him a brand new bathrobe. Right. But it's awkward because like, they don't really show Triton communicating with them, do they? No, kind they of, just say, yeah, Triton told us. So. Yeah, it's kind of awkward, kind of bad storytelling. So they fix things rope, and then they apologize, and then that's it. They disappear, like, okay, see ya. <laughs> and, yeah, that's it. And then at the end, they're like, um, he's like, you know, and then, of course, there's like a little lesson. Who can say this may not happen someday in your own world of growing atomic stockpiles? What will you do if the sneak attack comes? Will you, like Black Bolt, still pause to find the true aggressor? Or will you let loose the final holocaust? Think about that. The end. Next. Island in the sky. Yeah. Go. Like uh, Johnny Storm's like, and how about, for, how about uh, forming a few apologies while you form that bathrobe? You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Quiet, Johnny. Medusa, was there, was there a good cause? And, and she explains that they were attacked and um, there was no choice but to react. The evidence pointed to you. Uh, so then after they say some more stuff, uh, Medusa says, there was damage done, Reed Richards, but no lives were lost. You just blew up our hotel or our Baxter building, you know? You just, right. You just damaged everything. Who's paying for this, Medusa? You? Are you going to pay for this? Um, so, yeah. Basically, the Inhumans are dicks. Yeah. Kind of awkward. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, like you said, that last line, think about that. Right. So that's like a forced little uh, little lesson there, right? Like a yeah. PSA about atomic uh, stock. <laughs> yes. They get real political in the final right. couple panels. Um, so there it is, Michael. Uh, Jack Kirby. Writing and drawing. Um, all right, well, let's talk Kirby. And then sure. We'll, uh, 
<laughs> breakdown or problems with the issue. Uh, I got to open my notes again. I, I had shut them. All right, so Jack Kirby, he was born. Uh, you know his real name, Michael? Jacob Kurtzberg. That is correct. Born Jacob Kurtzberg in New York City, 1917. He uh, sadly died in 1994 at the age of 76. Yeah. Uh, Jack Kirby was just one of his many pen names. Can you name some other pen names that he used? Oh, I actually, I, if I did know them, I forgot them. What are they? Yeah, like when he when he broke into comics in the 30s, he was just using pen names. Uh, his first one he used was Jack Curtis. Okay. Jack Curtis, and then he used a bunch. Another one was Lance Kirby. Okay. And then, okay. Uh, I think one was just Teddy. <laughs> Which is That's awesome. Okay. Uh, and then he settled on Jack Kirby. So thank God he settled on Jack Kirby. Right. Is Lance Kirby? Yeah, not so good. Right. Teddy's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just one name, Teddy. <laughs> um, so in 1940, uh, Kirby and Joe Simon they created Captain America for Timely Comics. That's right. How about that? One of the biggest ever, Captain America. And uh, Kirby, but Kirby and Simon felt they weren't being paid properly or treated fairly by uh, Martin Goodman, the publisher at Timely. And so they were trying to sneak around and, and they were trying to make a deal with National, which mm. was uh, DC Comics, you know, eventually. Right. They were still national here, though, right? 1940 or whatever. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, so, and this apparently is the root of uh, the initial cause of the, conf- the tension between Kirby and Stanley, because Stanley was a relative of Goodman, and he was a kid just working there. And apparently Kirby always blamed Stanley for going and ratting out that he and Joe Simon were going for a deal with National. Really? Interesting. Okay. Because other people in the business knew about it, like in the company knew, but they weren't telling Goodman. Stanley told Goodman. Really? So that got Kirby uh, mad at Stanley, I guess. Uh, but uh, at the time, they were making, uh, Kirby and Simon were making $75 and $85, respectively. Okay. Uh, Simon was making the 85 and that's a week. And they cut a deal with National that combined <clears throat> they were making 500 a week. So wow. Quite the, quite the bump. Quite the raise, yeah. Double their, their pay there. So, yeah, they went to National. Um and then uh, Kirby served in the European theater uh, during World War II. He actually landed on Omaha Beach in Normandy, but it was two months after D-Day. But he was there uh, in Normandy. And his job was, uh, when his lieutenant found out he was an artist, a comics artist, he put him on the like reconnaissance team. So they would go scout ahead, uh, get into towns and stuff in Germany, and like then Kirby would have to draw maps. Jeez, uh, crazy. Yeah. They said it was very dangerous duty, you know, to scout ahead like that. And but uh, that's what he was doing in the war. Um, when he returned stateside, he started working for various comic book companies, including DC Comics, Harvey Comics, Hillman Periodicals. You're a big fan of their work, Michael, right? Hillman Periodicals. Absolutely, isn't everyone? Uh, Atlas Comics <laughs> and Crestwood Publications. Really? At, Crest, at Crestwood, he and Joe Simon created the romance comics genre. That's right. I knew that. I did not know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Amazing, eh? Yeah. Uh, get this, though, Michael. Okay. Their big seller was something called Young Romance. And then yep. they did a spinoff called Young Love. And then together, they were selling 2 million copies a month. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> what? I know. Two well, million those copies? Were different times, right? Yeah. Everything was selling a lot higher back in those days. So. Yeah, I guess no TV or anything. Right. And Mike Keller, are you outside doing this episode? Oh, I've got a window open here. Can you <laughs> yes. hear that? 
Yeah, I can hear wind every once oh, in a while. Oh, it's a great breeze, but I could, I could, I can. Here, let me uh, just a minute here. Yeah, that's all right. I don't care. It just sounds like you're walking in a park somewhere. No, no, it's just uh, it's the great cool breeze coming in. I love this weather. All right, well, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I had no idea about the romance genre though. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, great. So, in uh, 1954, uh, Kirby and Simon started their own comics company. Were you aware of this? No, actually, I didn't. No. It's called Mainline Publications. Really? Never heard of it. It only lasted for one year. That could okay. be why. They published four books. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, four titles. Not like, so more than four issues. Is one, you know okay. what I'm saying? Sure. <laughs> four titles. Uh, so the first one was a romance called In Love, because they were still trying to cash in on that romance money. The sure. second one was a, uh, it's kind of like a dragnet, like, they used real police stories and they uh, made them into comics and they were called, it was called police trap. Okay. And the third one was a, a military story called Foxhole. Okay. And the fourth one was a Western called bullseye Western scout. Really? Uh, Western scout. Huh. And now during this time when they were at Crestwood and when they were doing those romance comics, they made a deal with Crestwood that they wouldn't take any money. Uh, they want to take a lot of money up front for doing the work, but they would get 50% of all proceeds from the book. Really? Okay. So that was a good deal for them. But when they left and they went and did their own stuff, they had a, an auditor go in and check on Crestwood's books. And it mm -hmm. turned out Crestwood owed each of them 130 grand. Or, Jesus. Uh, or maybe they owned them both 130 combined. But that's a lot of fucking money back then. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they got real mad. And then... Uh, I guess this kind of this pissed off Joe Simon, and he just decided to leave the comic book industry. Yeah, because he didn't. I, I know that he didn't really do anything after that, as far as I know. Yeah, he went to work in advertising, like many okay. of the comic people did back then. And mm -hmm. he just, I guess, the thing with Crest was the final straw. He's like, "Yeah, fuck this." So he went sure. to work in advertising. But Kirby stuck with the comic books, and in the 1960s, of course, Kirby teamed uh, with Stan Lee. Then, when he went to Marvel. And he co-created the X-Men, the Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, the Fantastic Four, the Inhumans. Everything, Michael. They created everything, basically. Yeah, sure did. Yep. I guess the big ones he didn't have a hand in were like uh, Spider-Man, Daredevil. Well, it depends, though, because he says that he created a character called Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he had a completely different costume and he shot webs out of his gun. <laughs> but other um, than that, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but as far as... And then there's some evidence that he might have designed the red and blue costume with the webs, but no one really knows. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely well, more Kirby-esque character, for sure. Or uh, well, Ditko-esque Ditko character. Yeah, the story I heard about the costume was that they actually ripped it off of a local Halloween costume. I saw that too, yep. It's <laughs> yeah. Totally, yep. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, then when he left Marvel, because, uh, you know, he was mad with Stanley and stuff, he went into DC. And what did he do at DC, Michael? He created the Fourth World and New Gods. Right. New Gods, Mr. Mr. Miracle, Miracle and the Forever People, Dark Side. All that terrible stuff. All that awesome stuff. And then, um, <laughs> and then after that, when those all got canceled after a year, he did, uh, he did other stuff like Commandy. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, Jimmy Olsen, right? Wasn't that? Yeah, Jimmy Olsen was part of it, yeah, but he was already around. But then he did uh, Devil Dinosaur. Oh, that was at Marvel. Sorry. But at DC, he did Commandy the Demon. Uh, and then he did a bunch of weird stuff. That Wait, really when, you're saying, when you're saying Commandy, are you saying Commandy like colon the Demon or are those two separate things? No, I'm, no, Commandy the Last Boy on Earth. Oh, see, I never heard of that. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, Commandy the Last Boy on Earth, which is still around. They still do a comic like right now. 
Um, now, and then, now, what does that mean, Commandy? The that's kind of like why the last man, Commandy. Yeah, the last kind of. He is na- it, It's imagine like a Planet of the Apes world, but instead of just talking apes, there, there's talking everything, talking dogs, talking horses, <laughs> okay. and there's one boy left, and his name is Commandy. But then the twist is that you find out. I, I think it's like he was born in a place called Command D, so that's why his name's Commandy. Now, are there girls on this planet? No girls. Just oh, horses yeah, that sucks. and monkeys. But anyway, um, and dogs. Uh, so, but then, uh, yeah. So then he, yeah. So, and then after that, he went back to Marvel eventually. Yes. And then he left Marvel again in like 79. Um, right. And he worked. Uh, do you know what he did when he left, Michael? Yeah, he went to animation. That's right. Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, he did Thunder the Barbarian, right? Yep. And uh, well, the new Fantastic Four cartoon he was doing. Right. And right. Stan Lee was actually scripting that, so they had to work together again on that. Right. Um, and then and, he eventually made, went back to DC again and did uh, Superpowers. And that, that Fantastic Four cartoon, Michael, remember that was the one with the robot. That's of, right. Robbie the Robot or Ro- Robbie Johnny the robot. Storm. That's right. Yep. Now, now, that was because they didn't own the rights to the Human Torch for like animation or something? Or? I think, yeah, I think it's because. They were supposed to do a movie with them, or they were supposed to do a separate show, and so that's why they had to invent Robbie the Robot. I personally love Robbie the Robot, so. <laughs> but anyway. He had better dialogue than Johnny Storm in this issue. Yeah, that. yeah that's true. Um, so, uh, 1987, or wait, I skipped something. Uh, so after that, he did an independent comics, and he worked for Pacific and Tops. Um, oh, Yes. Now, do you remember any of the stuff he did there? And didn't he do something called like the bombastic? A guy throwing a bomb. I remember that one. Well, okay, so Pacific was early '80s, and that was Captain Victory, right? And no, no idea. yeah, Captain Victory, and oh, I can't remember the other one. I I bought them. They're okay. They're not well. They're okay. Um, and then he did Destroyer Duck with Steve Gerber. Uh, yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then later he did. Did, have you gotten to the image stuff he did? No. Because, yeah, he, he ended up doing... Oh, sorry, no, not image. Tops Comics. Yeah, he, Tops. Tops, but I right. think I think some stuff did get reprinted in Image or something, or printed for Image. I don't know. I, I think what ended up happening was after he died, Image printed a book called Phantom Force, which was like... Yeah, that sounds unused, about right. Yeah, unused pages that they kind of cobbled together and tried to make a story out of. That's kind of like a way to pay tribute to him. But Tops Comics was kind of half-decent, where... He created all these characters, and then they got these classic creators like Roy Thomas and Steve Ditko to work on this character. So it was a good idea at the time. Hmm. And I'm sure, I think it sold well because this was during the boom, right, where everything was selling well. Yeah. So, yeah, they were okay. They were fine. Captain Victory and stuff like that. Maybe I'll uh, look into some of those. Yeah. Uh, in, in 1987, he was one of the first three members inducted into the uh, Will Wisner Comic Book Hall of Fame. Awesome. Uh, can you name the other two uh, initial members? Well, I'm going to guess Will Eisner was one of them. Right? <laughs> that is correct. Will Eisner is one, yeah. Whew, okay, so it's not Alex Toth, right? Correct. I think he was like in the third or fourth uh, induction class. Okay. Oh, geez. Uh, I'm just going to guess. Is it Harvey Kurtzman? Nope. A fellow named Carl Barks. Oh, yes, of course. Uh Uncle Scrooge, Donald Duck artist. Yeah, I yep. should have known that. See, yeah. I'd never heard of him. But yeah, he did all the Donald Duck stories and Scrooge McDuck and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's that's 
fine company he's in right there. That's great. I don't think Stan Lee didn't get in until in the 90s. Some, some yeah, that's, that's the funny thing is, like, in the, to the general public, Stan Lee is the face of, like, Marvel yeah. Comics. But to the, to the hardcore, like, industry insiders, he's kind of like, he's like the Bon Jovi, you know, of, uh, of like, comic book creators. The Nickelback. You know? Not yeah. to offend your music taste, my God. Yeah. Like Nickelback. Oh, trust me, no, I hate Nickelback. I don't think he's, I mean, let's be honest, he's not the Nickelback. but he's, Yeah, he's, he's better than Nickelback. Yeah, he's more like, oh, uh, there's not really a good analogy, but you know what I mean. Like, he's not nearly as respected as Kirby is in the industry, so. Uh, he also had three TV p- uh, appearances over the years, Michael. Do you know uh, the three shows he was on? Well, one of them was The Incredible Hulk. That is right? correct. Yeah. You know like he did in that episode? I think he was, was he like the police sketch artist? That is correct. Look yep. at Michael. And it, <laughs> so someone was trying to describe the Hulk to him. And, and, and when they showed him the picture, it was like the old school classic Kirby Hulk that he drew. Right, right. So cool. Oh, man, the other two, I could not tell you what they are. Uh, he was a police officer on Starsky and Hutch. Are you serious? Yeah. I got to go back and find that. I love Starsky and Hutch. Wow. Uh, it was just like a small, like, I guess, you know, standing in the background kind of deal probably. But Right. Yeah. I, I don't know how he got that gig. Maybe his friends yeah, with Huggy. Yeah, that's weird. Sure. Yeah. And then the final one he did uh, was in 1993, just like, a, what was that, a year before he died? Um, yeah. He was on a show called Bob. Did you ever hear of Bob? Oh yes, of course, Bob Newhart. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was probably the same episode with Bob Kane, right? Yep. Uh, Bob Newhart. It was his third TV series. His first one was uh, the Bob Newhart Show. The second one was Newhart. So the third right. one had Bob. That's all that was left. And in season one, he was a comic book artist. He That's was coming right. back. He had a character. Uh, he cre- had created a character early in the like fifties or sixties. And then he went away to work in the greeting card business. And then they wanted to bring the character back to life, but more gritty. And right. so they wanted him to do it. So he agreed to do it. So the series is about this comic book artist coming back into the fold, trying to draw modern comic books. And uh, they changed this. They changed the whole uh, show. So for season two, they dropped the comic book angle entirely. And they, they made him the greeting card guy again. And they brought in Betty White. And it got canceled halfway through that season. So. Oh. But season one, when he was working in the comic book field, Marvel actually produced a comic book to tie in with it. And I own it. What? Yeah. Do you know? remember the character's name? Mad Dog. That's right. And yes. what was the, the – the comic book had an interesting feature, like a, a gimmick. Well, I believe the front half of it was like a modern-day gritty, violent comic, right? Yep. And he flipped it over, and the backup was like a Silver Age 1960s comic. Correct. So yes. like the two covers and you know if you flipped it depending which way you read first or whatever, um, yeah, it's crazy, Very, right? And the actual comic, I don't remember who did it, but it was definitely like an authentic recreation of that era. So I recommend it if you can find it. Yeah, yeah, like the '60s stuff is all campy and kind of silly, goofy. You know? Yes. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like like almost like Adam West Batman kind yes. of thing. You know? Right. But I, I had no idea that ever happened. Yeah, the character is called Mad Dog, and uh, yeah, no idea. So yeah, in that episode where Kirby's in, they're at a comic book convention, and Bob Kane's there, Stan Lee's there, Jack Kirby's there. Um, that's pretty crazy that Lee and Kirby reunited for an episode of Bob. Well, you know, I, I got to say, I'm pretty sure I watched that episode live when it was on, because I remember ah. Bob Kane, 
he actually had a line where he was presenting an award and he's like, the award for whatever goes to, and then he opens up the envelope and he's like, this can't be right. And his acting is terrible. But <laughs> I think the award went to Bob Newhart. That was yeah, the joke, yeah. right? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So. This can't be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. I got some uh, Kirby stats here. Remember I had the uh, Kurt Swan stats before? Oh, nice. Let's hear them. Uh, these are his career stats, and they all come from the uh, Art of Jack Kirby, a book by Roy Wyman Jr., Blue Rose Press, 1994. So all told in his career, he did 20,318 pages of art. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's, uh, I think that's about 1,100 more than Kurt Swan. Jeez. I, so. so he's number one. I would imagine. I can't imagine anyone better than Jack Kirby. Right. That's um, it. It's amazing. He did 679 pages of layouts in addition and uh, 1,385 covers, wow. which I think was also about 1,000 more, or not 1,000 more, but um, more than Kurt's. It was more than, I think Kurt's one did about 1,100. So okay. he did 13. Um, 22 cover layouts in addition to that. His career averages, he did an average of 200 or 376 pages per year, so a little more than one a day per year. Wow. Uh, 31 pages per month. Uh, one page per day, 26 covers per year, uh, 2.2 covers per month, most pages in a single year. In 1962, he did uh, 1,158 pages. Oh, wow. That's why I, I, I scoff at some of these modern guys that can't even get like, you know, 10 pages a month. Like, come on, get it together. It, he worked very quick and uh, they, they say he never liked to erase. He would never erase. He would just draw and... And he would also work, he would work at the top of the page and just work his way down panel by panel. And because a lot of guys like to do all the layouts first and then right. do all the form. He just did each panel one at a time and just worked his way down the page. And he did not erase, just kept on going. Uh, most pages in a single month, 142 pages in 1947. Wow. Um, most covers in a single year, 102 in 1964. Hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Almost two covers uh, a week there. Uh, most covers in a single month, 11 in October 1976 and January 1977. Longest uninterrupted period of publication from July 1958 to January 1978. <laughs> 19 years and seven months. Jeez. And during that time, he did 13,133 pages and 1,013 covers. Wow. There you go, Jack Kirby. Amazing. Yeah, like he has to be one. Like him and Kurt, like who would be, uh, if it's not Kurt Swan, it has to be Kirby. And we, we know the stats that Kirby is better than Swan, right? right. So, it is quite, yeah, ironic. Not ironic, but I mean, those are my two favorite comic book artists, is Kirby and Kurt Swan. Like, I mean, and then maybe like say Alex Toth or John Buscema or John Romita Sr. or whoever. But those two are my absolute favorites. So it is funny that not only are they great, they're so prolific. It's just amazing, eh? Who do you think would be third? As far as prolific? Yeah, in terms of most oh, pages. Do you know it? Do you have it in front no, of No, I do not know it. I mean, probably John Buscema. I'm just guessing, though. Uh, that would be my guess as well. Um, yeah. Though there might be some guy from the Silver Age. Who, sure, yeah. There could be someone yeah. I'm thinking of. But John Buscema drew so much, and he was so fast as well. Like, he's another guy. He could do, like, eight pages a day. It was crazy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so. so there you go, the Jack Kirby stats. All right, Michael, so uh, like we said, it's our first issue of Jack Kirby here. Um, let's start with the writing. Like we mentioned, the dialogue is just ridiculous. 
Yeah. Uh, the dialogue is ridiculous, but I, I can actually forgive it more because it's it is trying hard, but it's well, it's pretty bad. But I actually think the plotting is pretty awkward. Like as we said, the two missiles for no yeah. reason, the, the 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 fact that they don't investigate or call the Fantastic Four before they just go over there and start kicking ass, you know? Yeah, this is uh, it's weak plotting. Just cause anytime you have a plot that could be changed by someone making a phone call or doing something else, it's not a good plot. Like, right. You know, there should be no, no choice in what they have to do. You're right. Um, good point. So, now, the, I like the way it was structured at the beginning. Like, we have that little scene of them intercepting those explorers. So, we get a shot. Uh, like, we get a, a, a taste of the, of the Inhumans, all their powers, what they can do. And so, that's a good way to introduce the Inhumans. And then we get the real plot with the missile. And so, I like that structure. But, mm -hmm. yeah, in terms of the two missiles and blaming it on the Fantastic Four, yet still secretly going to Maximus. Um, I didn't like any of that. No, no. Yeah. So, it's basically just a way to have the Inhumans fight the Fantastic Four without really fighting them. Right, right. So. Yeah, not great plotting at all. I'll agree with that. And what about the art? Well, the art, like I said, um, I, it was pretty much Pete Kirby, but I think it's hampered by the inks by Chick Stone. So, like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that opening page is gorgeous. The rest of it is kind of a little bit hit and miss. I can still see the great art underneath, but it's not Kirby at his best. But still, Kirby not at his best is still an 8 or 9 out of 10, in my opinion. Now, now what are you complaining about with Chick Stone? Like, the lines are too thick? Because you can see, like, the, uh, especially the outside line of uh, figures and stuff, it's very thick. The very very thick, yes. Like, and again, in the early days, it kind of worked, but in this book, it's more. It just seems more, like a lot of times, it looks sloppy. Like he makes it look sloppy, you know. Like it, it doesn't flow as uh, fluidly as a lot of Kirby stuff around this time. So that's why I don't think he's as good as like uh, Joe Sinnott. And there are some panels there. There's a things are very dark. Um, it it. it it kind of seems like the pencils aren't given a chance to breathe, I guess, is the one right, I'm saying. Right, They're kind right. of like, the heavy lines are kind of bogging them down. Right. But, uh, I mean, it's still good. Like, if you like classic comic book art, book art right. it's still good. Yeah. Definitely still good. I don't, yeah, but I don't know if it's like awesome, right? Like, I'm, I'm looking through it right now. Like, there's a lot of mid-perspective shots. Um, it, it's kind of like, almost like a subdued Kirby. Like, not over like, really dynamic stuff but uh, right right yeah that's what i mean like it's not quite peak but it's still even if it's not peak like there's so many panels we talked about you know of like the guys bowing and just stuff like that like there's so much thought he put, puts into panels like that so i still think it's it's great it's just not his best and again this was 1970 so this is right when he's about out the door right or, so yeah he's probably like you said yeah he's probably got one foot out the door so maybe he's not putting his best effort in um, also, just in general with Kirby, when I was a kid, I hated Kirby. I think when I was a little kid, I might have made fun of his poses, but it was pretty early on that I started to really like him. Because I noticed that um, a lot of the artwork they used in Marvel Universe was Kirby, and I would just stare at this art, like, in mesmer you know, mesmerized by And then it was later I found out it was all by him. So I think I always kind of liked him. Because when I was a kid, I liked, like, Art Adams. Uh, sure, yeah. You know, it, Paul Smith, John Byrne, that kind of stuff. I always thought Kirby was too like cartoony, and his anatomy was weird, and 
because um, again, there are some anatomy issues in this as well, just the hands and stuff. Right, right. It, it's just how you, what you like, you know, who knows, it's subjective. Sure. But it is a little too cartoony, and um, I thought all his faces kind of like every guy looks like Reed Richards. It's like, oh, look, there's Reed Richards with blonde hair. There's Reed Richards with black hair. There's yes, I'll give you that. Like, there's there's not a variety of faces or even of expressions. He's more of a master of like body language, like an action, not really like. He, like Kurt's, Kurt Swan is like the master of subtle expression and Kirby's more like action and layout, you know? Yeah. And like, like the same with Sue Storm, like, Oh, there's Sue Storm with, Oh, Crystal with long hair. That's Sue Storm with long hair. It's Sue right, Storm. Right. Like he's very limited in that perspective, but the order I got, then I could appreciate the compositions and the dynamic poses and the energy he brought to comic right. books. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this is great. You know, but right. I, I, he's still not one of my, like, like I still would prefer to read, John Romita Sr. or John B. Sima, probably. Ah, okay, okay. But, I mean, you got to respect Kirby. It's Jack Kirby. Right, know? right. That's kind of like how I am with Steve Ditko, where I do like Ditko, but I think I respect him more than I actually like his stuff, you know? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I was never a huge Ditko fan either. Right, right. Like, I remember when I was a kid, they had a Ditko do a fill-in issue with Daredevil, and right. I was pissed. Like, this is later, like in the 80s? Yeah. It like yeah, age. his later stuff's not nearly as good. I was just like, fucking Steve Ditko, what is this? Right. I had no appreciation for it at all. <laughs> but, you he, yeah, he was at his best on Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, I think, for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, did you ever read, well, I know we're getting off track here with Ditko, but did you ever read that, uh, what was that book he did on his own? It was like, Oh, you mean, was it Mr. A? Or are you talking about... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I never like, read it. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, all right. Okay. Um, so what else about this... Uh, Kirby art, Mike. Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, nothing. I just, you know, again, like I said, Kirby is one of my favorite artists. So even like, even like mediocre Kirby is still better than almost anyone, in my opinion. So. Yeah. So what would you rate this one out of ten? Well, like we said, the story is pretty rough. The story is only like in maybe a four or even lower, but the art is at least an eight, if not a nine. So I don't know. What's the average of that? Seven, six. Yeah, I'd go in that same range as well. Uh, uh, I'll go six. You can go seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's not peak Kirby art, but it's still Kirby. Uh, the story is just goofy, but it's still a fun comic book. To read. Right, I mean, yeah. It's, of course, it's still entertaining. It's still fun. It's got action. So, yeah, it's still good. Yeah. Just yeah. don't let Kirby write dialogue. Exactly. He's, he, he needed help. Like, even when he went to D.C., it would have benefited him to have like, a, a partner with him to help him. I think he did have people help him, but he needed someone strong, someone to say no to him, right? So. Yeah, that's the, that's the, the big thing, to have someone say no to you. you know? Right, right. But, um, all right, so there it is, Inhumans number nine. All right, all next right. week, Mike Dell. Next week, Mike Dell, I know you like Roy Thomas. Right? <laughs> I know you like Roy Thomas. So I decided who, who, who pick... writes worse dialogue, Roy Thomas. <laughs> yeah. I decided to pick a Roy Thomas and Gene Colan comic. Oh, I like Gene Colan. Yeah. That's right. In the form of Wonder Woman number two eighty eight. What? That's right. I got all, all excited for a Marvel book. Uh, uh, Thomas I, and Colin. I pulled oh my a God. from under you. I had no idea Gene Colan did Wonder Woman. Very briefly, this was the, this was an attempt at a reboot. You will There's, see exactly how well that goes. But anyway. What year, what year did you say this was? Uh, this is, uh, I'll send you the link, but this is uh, 1982. 82. And Wonder Woman, what, what's the issue again? 
288. Yep. Wow. I'm, yep. I'm shocked at this. <laughs> this is this is Lookout World. This is the sensational new Wonder Woman. I was going to say we haven't read a Wonder Woman, but I guess technically we have. Uh, she was in that one. Uh, was it All Star Squadron or no? Justice. Oh yeah, I forgot about those. But she was in. Uh, yeah, she was in that Justice League. I was thinking of that one, the anthology. Like, was that the Christmas one? Was she in or? Oh, Christmas with the superheroes. Yeah, she probably was. Yep. Remember, like she was visiting a friend or something. And yep, I remember that. Of course. Yeah. All right. So, <sighs> that's Wonder right Woman. Wonder Woman the all new Wonder Woman so yeah when's that when's that new Gal Gadot movie coming out well it was supposed to be out like next month but now it's delayed until next year I'm not sure exactly when so hey, hey Michael getting back to last week's issue uh, the new mutants did you see the new mutants movie yet oh yes I did uh, did you put and up a review did I miss it or? no well unfortunately we didn't review we didn't see it until I think Monday, we didn't review it till Tuesday, so it, it'll probably be up in maybe this weekend if we're lucky, because it's, it's like an hour long, so it's going to take oh, a long wow. time to edit it all together, yeah, so. Longer than the movie. Yeah, exactly. So, Would you like to tease, I uh, give a little, I don't know, do you, I don't want you to spoil it. i say that it's not terrible. It's not terrible, oh. it's not great. Uh, I appreciate what they're doing, small-scale story, you know, and I love, I love most of the actors. I'm a huge Macy, Macy Williams fan, so I think it was... Maybe slightly better than I thought it would be in some areas, but slightly worse in other areas. Yeah, I like the small scale superhero stories. You know, you don't have to right. save the world every time. You know, exactly. Just, exactly. So. All right. That's pretty good. All yeah. right. So next week, Wonder Woman. That's right. So every week we do a different Bronze Age comic book. Uh, one week Mike Dell gets a pick, the next week I get a pick. And we're available on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. On the Comic Book Wind Syndicate website, all under Comic Book Syndicate. You can also search for Flea Market Fantasy. We do one every week, like I said. And so, until next Tuesday, disperse! How long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need, indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign, and they handle the rest, sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger. Well, maybe except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring them your next home product, and they will bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com to get started. How about we heat things up tonight? Ooh, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle, and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback.